welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. I'm back in the promised land. I was in Christchurch for three weeks, which was lovely. But um, I came back for like the only four days of summer, apparently. Um, Hey, I don't know if you know this, but you walked into a Pentecostal church this morning, and during worship, I just was reminded of what happened. Solomon builds the temple; they get it all ready. Everything's they've done all they've you know like done all the gold furnishings and everything. And it says this: they sing to the Lord. For he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. And then it says this, The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not stand to minister before the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. If you're here today and you're like, do you know what? I need I need a touch from God. I, I actually need a touch from God, whether you, you're feeling stressed, worried, what, whatever's going on. Maybe you're like, everything's good in my life, but, but I don't want to do it on my, in my own strength. I just want to invite you to stand, lift your hands to the Lord. We're gonna, I want to pray and believe that the glory of the Lord would touch you. And it doesn't mean that you're going to fall over and shake on the ground and dance around like a chicken or anything. But I, I believe that God wants to meet with you. God wants to, to touch you. He wants to, um, have any, he wants to encounter you. So if that's you, would you stand up? Just stand to your feet right now. Just stand up. Lift your hands to God. If you're, if you're sitting near one of these people, why don't you stretch your hands out towards them? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you made a way for us to freely come into the throne room of God. That every single one of us who believe, who, who have confessed our belief in Christ, every single one of us are priests. And God, what happened when you filled Solomon's temple, we thank you that you, that would happen to your priests here today. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, come, fill, touch us, Lord. Lord, we're hungry and desperate for your presence. Come, O oh God, and refresh your people. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Have your way. Fill your people. Refresh your people, God. Refresh your people. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for refreshing today. For people experiencing that river that flows out of them. The river of life that flows out of the temple. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Amen. Now that doesn't count as any of my preaching time, okay? That was it was ministry. So it's not included. I want to preach a message today called Zookeepers and Butchers, um, and we're going to read through a big chunk of scripture. So if you've got a Bible, um, you can open it up to Genesis 6, verse 11. If you didn't bring a Bible, it'll be on the screen. 
uh, we will be reading out of the ESV as per usual. So you got it? You there? You can follow along on your phone as well. It says this. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. Who's encouraged? Just be encouraged by the word of the Lord today. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So it's, it's bad. Things are bad. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end to all flesh. <laughs> Again, be encouraged by the word of the Lord. For the earth is filled with violence and th- violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. I don't know what pitch is. I thought it was, it was like a how you sing, but this is how you ought to make it. That was a terrible joke, Mitch. That was, that was. You ever heard the like first pancake rule? It was like my first pancake. You know how the first pancake never cooks right, and it's just it's it, you throw it out. Anyone heard that rule? You know, watch Gilmore Girls, where the rule comes from. Either way, first pancake. That was a terrible joke. We'll keep moving on. Second pancake's gonna be better. I promise. Maybe. This is how you are to make it. Remember, God's really precise. We talked about this last year. God tells us what he, what he likes, how he wants us to do things. The length of the ark is 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. They are measurements. Make a roof for the ark. Clever. Good idea. Thanks, Lord. <laughs> and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark inside it. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. It's, it's going to be a bougie ark. One of those cruise liners. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy it, to destroy all flesh in um, in which the breath of in which the breath of life under heaven, in which is the breath of life under heaven. My brother has dyslexia, and I think I've caught a little bit of it. I forgot where I am now. The Lord's judging me for my second bad joke. That was a waffle, that one, though. So there was like I've done one bad pancake, one bad, bad waffle. Everything on the earth shall die. Be encouraged by the word of the Lord. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark with you, your sons. Imagine if he made him make the ark and then was like, sorry, you're not invited. <laughs> He's like, sorry, Noah, I, I, this isn't actually for you. I'm making you make it for, for Jeff. Um, you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Obviously, they must have been good daughters-in-law. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been invited. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you, and they shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kind and the animals according to their kind, of every creeping thing um, on the ground according to its kind, um, two of every sort shall come in and you shall keep them alive. It's part of his rule. His job is to keep them alive. So take... With you, every sort of food that is eaten and store it up, it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all God commanded him. I'm going to jump forward to 
chapter 8, otherwise we're going to be, I'll just read the entire sermon and the end of my time will be up. Uh, Genesis 8.15, it says this. This is after the flood has happened. Then God said to Noah, this is all the raven and the dove, all that stuff's happened already. God said to Noah, um, go from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives. They, they made it through. That's like the next level family gathering. You think Christmas was intense. Try an ark for many days. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you. I couldn't do the math. I know there's like 150 and then 40, 40 days and 40 nights. Maybe that's 190. Um, every living thing, all flesh, birds, animals, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird that moves on the earth went out um, by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and... Um, and some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every, every living creature again as I have done. So this comes from the book of Genesis. Um, and Moses is writing this down. Now, there is some, like, you know, like, fan theories out that, like, Moses didn't actually write it, and, um, like, it was compiled over, you know, f between the, um, f the ninth century through to the 5th century. Um, but up against that is all of the Bible's testimony that Moses writes the first five books of the Bible. And, it's, and so uh, the Bible is, is written, we believe, as Christians, we believe the Bible is written through dual authorship by the Holy Spirit and the earthly author. And so the Holy Spirit through Scripture tells us that the Bible is written, that these first five books are written by Moses. That's pretty good evidence. And then Jesus himself, when he's on earth during his ministry, he refers to them as the books of Moses, implying that he's the writer. And so um, and in the last kind of 20, 30 years, a lot of scholarship has gone back to the fact that a lot of the like like Orthodox Christian scholarship has gone back to Moses is a writer. He writes it three and a half thousand years ago, which is, is wild that we're reading it. We just read something that's like three and a half thousand years old. Um, and so Moses is writing and he's writing um, to the people. He's writing it primarily for the nation of Israel who have already come out of Egypt. And so when Moses is writing, it's likely in those 40 years that they're in the wilderness. So you, you catch, you're with me? So he's not writing it prior. There's some thoughts that maybe he started compiling things when he was um, out in the wilderness after he um, killed one of the Egyptians. If you're unsure of what I'm talking about, go watch The Prince of Egypt. You'll catch up. It'll be fine. 
We have a poster of the Prince of Egypt in, in our staff office because it's the best Christian movie of all time. Um, but one of the things that's super interesting because Moses writes, um, obviously from Exodus onwards, he's got a lot, he knows what's happening. He's writing it down like his own account. But Genesis, he's writing from the beginning of the world. Um, and there's a couple of verses that point towards the fact that Moses when he grew up in Pharaoh's house, that he was taught all of the, all, all of the ways of the Egyptian and he, and he had access to their, their library. And so a lot of scholars think that the reason he knew so well the detailed life of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, it wasn't just that the Holy Spirit was like telling him and stuff, but he actually, because he grew up in Pharaoh's house, he had access to all of the documents that came in to Egypt with Israel, which I just, I, I thought it was really fascinating. You might not, and that's fine. But so Moses is writing Genesis to the people of Israel who have already come out from Egypt. That's our audience. And when we go to scripture, the, the, the writer and, and the original audience give us clues on how on what is going on and what's being said. That's why when we read a, a letter from Paul to the Philippians, we go, okay, Paul is writing, so it's, he's going to be thinking like Paul. Um, and then also he's writing to the Philippians, and that's a real people group at a real time, a real place. And so that's going to give us clues and insights into how to read this. I'm spoiling all of my method for you today. I'm just telling you what I do. And then the second thing to do is go, so first is like who, who's writing and who's, who's um, receiving. And then the next thing is, what is what's the purpose? What, why is this being written? It's not being written for nothing. I, when was the last time you ever just sat down and wrote something for nothing? Like we write, I mean, we don't write letters really, but we, we text each other. That's the closest. You don't just text someone for no reason. You, you do it for a purpose. Every writing we do is for a purpose. And so again, you go to Paul writing to the Philippians and you go, well, he's writing a letter to the Philippians. So now we, we've got a framework on, on, on which we can understand it. Revelation opens with a couple of verses about how um, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ um, and it uses the word mysteries. And so in the opening few verses, and so we go, oh, that's going to be a key for understanding Revelation. It's about Christ and there's going to be a lot of mysteries in it. I'm going to have to think hard. I can't just like pick this up off the shelf, read it one time, be like, I get Revelation. It makes sense to me. And so... What is the purpose of Genesis? Anyone want to hazard a guess? Free for all. Jono, this is your time to heckle me if you want to. Has he got anything? No, nothing. He's silent. I've silenced Jono. Now, but any, any thoughts? What, what do you think Genesis is, the purpose of Genesis might be? To start from the beginning? That's, that's, that's pretty good. I just got water all over myself. That was terrible. Give me one second. That's right. Nobody saw that. It'll dry before the sermon's over. And anyway, any other thoughts? It's to talk about the beginning. Anyone else? 
No, fantastic. All right. Now, we pretty much got there. So Genesis is obviously the name that we call the book in English, and it comes from um, the Greek translation of the book. So when Jesus is reading from Genesis in, um, in the New Testament, he's not reading the Hebrew primarily. He's often reading the Greek translation. It's called the Septuagint. It comes up all the time. You'll see it if you've got a real Bible and you look at the bottom, it'll often like say the word Septuagint. And so this is the Bible that's being used, um, the, the Greek translation, because everyone spoke Greek at the time of Christ. And so Genesis is a word that derives from the Greek name of the book. But the Hebrew name of the book is Bereshith. And I probably butchered it, but that's fine. And Bereshith means in the beginning. It's the opening word of the book. The opening two words of this book is Bereshith Elohim. In the beginning, God. And Bereshith um, becomes the lens through which we read this book. This book, the book of Genesis, is all about beginnings. It's, it, it is an origin story. It's, it's like we, Moses is, because Moses is at the time of the Exodus. He's at the time of the people about to take the promised land. And he is going back like the Marvel movies and writing an origin story so everybody understands how we got there. And so that is going to be the lens, is Bereshith. Everyone say that together. Bereshith. Now you're all culpable for butchering the Hebrew language alongside me. So we have the Bereshith of creation, the Bereshith of mankind. We have the Bereshith of sin. Cain and Abel is the Bereshith of murder and brotherly disputes. Side note, <laughs> this is bad parenting on my behalf, but um, Oakley and Eddie, um, it's our six-year-old and three-year-old, were fighting in the car this morning, and um, one of them pinched the other, and I said, shall we, shall we read the story about Cain and Abel? And Larissa interjected and was like, maybe not right now, Mitch. So, <laughs> second pancake, you laughed. The Tower of Babel is the bearer sheath of nations and language. And then the calling of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the bearer sheath of the nation of Israel. It's, it's the origin story. And so when we are coming to the story of Noah, we, we know Moses is writing. He's writing to the, 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 the Israelites in the wilderness. And the purpose is to tell us an origin story. And so when we come to Noah, the question is, what is the bearer sheath? Any ideas? What, what is it? What is it? I'll take anything. Wayne, the start of rain, perhaps. Does it rain before that? That might be the first rainfall. So we should blame Noah for the summer, the last 18 months I've been here. Yes, I see a hand over there. Of covenant, yeah, that's a great one. Anybody else? 
boat building, yeah, sea travel. Thank you, Lord. All, who's been out on a boat this summer, out fishing or wakeboarding or skiing or something? That You can thank Noah for that, you know? What about zookeeping? It's the first zoo. The first zoo was a traveling, traveling boat zoo. That's wild. Like the first time someone's like, do you know what? We're going to build cages and put, put animals in them. Was a, was a traveling boat zoo. Nobody's doing that anymore. Imagine if like the next, next cruise ship that came to New Zealand had a zoo on it. That would be wild. And I'm going to be honest, if, if I asked, like, if, if I was to survey what we know about the story of Noah, we'd probably get boat building and zoology. Like, all of our stories about Noah are focused on the big boat that he built and the animals that came onto the boat, marching two by two like Mormons to your door. Like, like that's what our focus is when we read the story of Noah. But he's not just a zookeeper. He's also a butcher. Do you read uh, chapter 8, verse 20? It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, uh, we'll come back to that in a moment, but like he's, he's a butcher as well, which to me is wild. Like these animals, they make it on the boat and they're like waving to their friends being like, sorry, you didn't get picked for the boat ride. Have fun in the flood. And then all these animals, they come through the flood, they get saved on the boat, and then Noah's like, <clears throat> starts sharpening his knives. He gets out his six-inch Victoria Knox um, boning knife, and he's like, <clears throat> sorry, um, Bob, Susie, I know, I know I've been cleaning your cage for the last few months. I know I've been keeping you alive. I know I've been, I've been, mucking, I've been mucking everything out and giving you hay. Um, come on, could you come over here for a bit? I got, we're going to come worship the Lord together. Would you come with me? That's wild. <laughs> he, he kept all these animals alive on the boat for ages, for months. He kept them alive just so he could kill them. He's a butcher. Um, one thing I do every January is I read the Bible cover to cover. Um, Currently, I'm in the book of Job, and so, you know, I'm feeling sad. But um, it's fantastic. I, 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 the first few years were really, really hard, and now I'm, I'm pretty used to it. It takes a couple hours every day. I read 30 or 40 chapters every day. Um, and one of the things that you, you get out of doing this is you see the themes and the, the, like, the common things um, through Scripture. And when you read through the rest of the, the books of Moses, um, which is Leviticus, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, that, plus Genesis is five, um, you, you notice every time an offering happens, every time a, a bull or whatever is offered, there is this specific line, and it is this. It is, 
that it is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And that line is repeated over and over and over again. And the purpose of it is to show that the worship that was offered by the people was accepted and liked by God. It was, an, it was accepted worship. And the very first time that we read that line in Moses' writing is at the end of the story, when it says this in verse 21, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. And so when I read this, my like alarm bells went ding, 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 ding. Oh, you've got something, Mitch, that's worth talking about. Um, and I was like, oh, maybe this story is about the, is, is, is Moses setting a precedent for what worship is going to look like in the covenant? Mo, maybe Moses is, is showing us through Noah what worship is going to be like. He's, he's, he's showing the people, hey, this whole sacrifice thing that we're setting up right now with the Levites and stuff, we, I didn't just pull this out of thin air. This has an origin story. This has a bearer sheath. And so I started thinking about that and going, man, this really feels like something. I feel like, I'm, I'm, I feel like Sherlock Holmes about to crack the case, what the story of Noah is all about. And then with this lens, I read the story again. Because what, what is good when you're trying to work out, when you're doing study on a, on a passage of Scripture, you want to start with your context, the, the purpose, and then when you get something, when you've got a verse that you hone in on like this one, it's good to then read the whole story again to go, okay, let's see how this fits into the bigger picture. And the way that this fits into the big picture of this is incredible. So I'm going to skip through all of what we read earlier and just kind of bring some highlights. It starts with this. It says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, um, and all flesh had corrupted. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth." So we see that there is violence and corruption and God is dealing with it. This is the first kind of thing we see. And then the next thing we see is God says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. And then he goes on to describe it. And then in verse 22, it says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And so God is going to deal with sin. He's going to deal with corruption and God makes a, a safe passage for them. He's like, Noah, you're going to become a zookeeper. He's like, wait, what? I thought you were going to say, no, no, yeah, you're going to look after animals. That's going to be your job. And so then they go through floodwaters with God's protection. God, God provides the way. No one had built a boat before. No one would have thought, oh, man, we could make a floating device to survive a flood. That wasn't a human idea. God gave Noah the way that he could go through the floodwaters and survive. And then Genesis 
8.15 says, And God said to Noah, Go out from the ark. And then verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and every clean bird. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. And so the last thing we see is Noah offers acceptable worship to God and God makes a covenant with Noah. And so now we're starting to see a bigger story beginning to unfold. There is a fallen, broken world and God is judging and dealing with the the fallen brokenness. Then God makes safe passage for Noah, his chosen person, and his family through the flood waters to safety. And then they have been brought into a new place to commune with God. Evil corruption, God provides safe passage through water, and they come out to a place where the purpose of this new place is to worship the Lord and commune with him, to have a relationship with the Lord. Remember, the the original audience is Israel in the wilderness. They had come out of Egypt, an evil, corrupt place where they were slaves. And God made safe passage through the floodwaters. He parted the sea so that they could walk through. And at the same time as they made it through safely, God dealt with the evil sin corruption. And they've come into a new place. And Moses is using the story of Noah to tell them why they're here. They're not here, you know, just to, just to build another nation, make some new slaves, be the king for once, but they are here to worship the Lord. They are here to commune with God. And so Noah, the story of Noah, is the bearer sheath of how God saves. The story of Noah is in the book of Genesis, not because it is a nautical genius, It's not because it was hilarious that God put a bunch of animals on a boat and then, you know, like barbecued them later. It's it's not there for that. It's not there for the cute stories of Noah as a zookeeper. And it's not even really there for Noah as a butcher. It's there to show us and to show the Israelites how God saves And not just how God saves, but what the response of those whom God saved should be. God comes and he meets his people in the midst of chaos. He makes a safe passage through the water so that they can commune with God. You were in a broken, evil Society. You could not save yourself. And God came through Christ 
making safe passage through the floodwaters. This is why baptism is so important because baptism is the, the it's, you know, it's very clear. We die in baptism. It's like you, you die now in baptism so that you can live in, in eternity or you live now and do it your own so that, and you die in eternity. So God comes, he brings us to safety. He leads us out of sin, out of corruption. He brings us through the floodwaters in Christ, but he doesn't just want us to stay there. He doesn't just want us to be nice zookeepers. He doesn't want you to just like make it through, get saved, you know, like show up to church once every eight weeks, you know, like just kind of, and just like walk around in the wilderness. But God has brought you through not just to be a zookeeper, but to be a butcher as well to be one who communes with God, to be one who worships the Lord in a way that, that his, the worship is accepted by God. There is this two-way relationship. God's desire is, the reason he saved you, God's desire is that you would know him, that you would have a deep connection, a deep relationship with him. And if you, you don't know the Lord today, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't gone through the waters of baptism and come and, and found yourself in new life, if you haven't done that, that is, then you can do that today. It's, it, you don't have to build a boat, which is thank, like, thankfully, because I, I suck with tools. I would be terrible. Like, I'd accidentally you know, like have a sore thumb because I'd hit it with a hammer. You don't need to build a boat. You just need to call on the name of the Lord. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you will be saved. And you can do that. Um, we're actually going, going to head into a time of worship. I'm going to just sing one of the choruses in five minutes so the band can come up. We'll do it in two minutes. And in that time, there's an opportunity. If you, if you want to respond to salvation, you can do that in that time and say, Lord, I want to give you my heart. I, I make you the Lord of my life. And if you do do that, make sure you talk to someone, either the person you came with, come chat to one of the pastors after the service. But we need to be both zookeepers and butchers. And I realize, you know, usually you don't go from in that order. You know, like I could, you know, like everyone's got a friend who bought like lambs that they were gonna, you know, eat one day, and then their daughter names it like Bambi, and they get really connected, and then it becomes a living pet um, because they're like, we can't eat it. We've become a zookeeper. We were gonna butcher this, but you know, and so it's it's weird to go from there. But we need to go from being zookeepers to butchers. We need to go from being people who have just come through the floodwaters, who have been saved, and we need to become people and be people who commune with God, who worship the Lord, who, who, who don't hold anything back. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz